Hey guys, um, this week we decided to do a special episode to talk to uh, one of Chris's friends uh, that's heavily involved and a part of the LGBTQ community. Uh, Marie McGuire grew up with Chris in Columbia, South Carolina, and uh, was recently on the cover of Time Magazine uh, for their issue on gender identity and the changing meaning uh, of gender and sexuality. Um, we just thought it would be great to talk to someone who's a part of the LGBTQ community uh, to get their perspective on you know, what it was like coming to terms uh, with their own gender identity and really just for us to have a better understanding um, of the gender identity spectrum. Uh, so we hope you enjoy. I do want to say thanks for like talking to us today. I wish we had Tia and Lauren, um, but like I think Tia's on vacation. I, Lauren has like I don't know her job seems to be like really crazy right now. Um, farm school. She doesn't really have much time. Yeah. But um, but no, like you know, all the stuff that we talk about are things that I feel like. Um, you know, you know, we talk about things all the time that either we just talk amongst ourselves and it's like not enough people hearing it or like whatever. And we just kind of like to put things out there. Um, I think like from, uh, you know, social issues that are going on now, I feel like that's like, you know, what we like to talk about the most because it's like what affects us the most. Um, and, you know, we're not the only ones uh, when I say we, I just mean like, uh, from, I guess most of our stories come from like, you know, young black people growing up in the South and then kind of going up, uh, going out on our own and being affected by all these things. But we're, we're like, not obviously the only community people affected by stuff. Um, Chris has like talked about you like a lot, um, even before, um, you know, the time magazine cover and all that stuff. So just take a step back and, you know, just tell us, like, you know, I, like who you are, where you're from, just kind of like your background and how you know Chris, and we can start there. Totally, totally. Um, yeah, so I am Marie. Uh, I live in New York City in Brooklyn, um, but I originally hail from Columbia, South Carolina, uh, which is where I met Chris. I think we must have met in sixth grade because that, uh, that was the first time I went to public school. Um, yeah, so that's and then Chris and I became I think we became friends like early on and like stayed good friends all throughout high school and and actually he's been one of the I, I would say one of the probably like handful of people that I continue to like talk to with a degree of regularity like over the years which is like pretty cool, um, yeah. But I am from South Carolina. I went to when we graduated college or high school. I moved to Boston to go to college. So I went to Boston University for four years. And then at the end of that, I ended up moving to New York. And that's where I've been since. So I've been in New York for like the past four and a half years. And um, yeah, that's how I that's kind of how I begin to fit into this this picture, I guess. That's how I met Chris through middle school. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was thinking about you the other day. Um, even though we we're going to do this past this um, podcast, I just like Passover this week, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You used to give me your Passover cake that had absolutely <laughs> no taste. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so bad. It was so bad. So that's, I guess, that's another. That's like a little. That's a little thing about me that's kind of interesting. I'm. Uh, I was raised in a Jewish household, 
uh, which, you know, both of you are from the South and you know that there aren't uh, a ton of Jewish people in the South. I knew one Jewish person like up until college, which is crazy to me living in New York now, but I, I knew one Jewish person. Right. It's, it's ridiculous. And so I don't know, I think it's almost just to like to begin like off the bat, like, you know, race and religion are different, um, clearly, but I think that there is one kind of commonality between Chris and I is that I think in a lot of our social circles, he, in a lot of the time he would be the only black person present. Um, and I think to, like to, token black guy, I guess that that's like the thing you want to like pull in. And that's kind of a role that I served in terms of like Judaism, right? So, um, and the way that it manifested for me is I, I've talked about this a bit that I, I just have these memories of um, being in middle and or high school and anytime in a classroom setting or social setting, someone brought up the word like Israel or Judaism or Holocaust or Hitler or Passover, like everyone would just turn and look to me because I was the only representation of a Jewish person in this entire high school of like, like, I mean, our class was probably like, it's, I think it started at like 300 people or something. So it's like a, a 1200 person high school. And I, but I was like one of the only Jewish people there. Um, and that was almost my first kind of, uh, like, experience of I guess a degree of otherness compared to what most of my surroundings were and most of you know that kind of a thing so like I said not to say that race and religion are the same thing but I think that that's a kind of a commonality between Chris and I and our our like you know navigating the social waters of middle and high school yeah yeah I definitely agree with that yeah no that's uh, I mean do you think so like I don't know that's just interesting because I've never really uh I've never really thought about it that way. And I'm wondering now if that's how the girl that like I knew basically, I didn't even know her until high school. So really until high school, I did, I knew nothing about Judaism or anything. So I'm wondering if she kind of had like the same sort of like, you know, outsider experience, you know, those coming to you for, you know, for questions that they don't know the answers to. Right. It's it's really interesting because when there's only one example of any type of a thing in a space, you automatically become the expert, even if you are not by any means an expert. Right. Like right. I was just I was just a kid that was being raised in a Jewish family. There were so many things I didn't know. I was by no means a person that you should look to for guidance about Judaism or like what it even means or anything like that. But right. because I was the only person in the space. I was the only person that anyone knew to look to. So like the word Judaism happened, everyone turned their heads, looked at me and needed me to confirm if the words that we were speaking about were actually true and real. You know, um, I remember in uh, seventh grade, we did uh, our drama class at Fiddler on the Roof. And I just remember the whole time, like everyone just like Fiddler on the Roof is about like a shtetl in Russia. You know, it's it's a fictional piece about like Orthodox Jews. But I remember people seeking guidance in me and I was just like, I don't know what to tell you. But you know, I was made to be the expert because my mother's Jewish and I had a bar mitzvah. <laughs> I don't know if this is like uh, the way that I meant to segue into like what the hell we're talking about, but it's like <laughs> we've now we've brought you on here to learn more about the LGBTQ community. So <laughs> it's okay because this is actually a space where I'm conditioning myself to be a good representative and to be more of an expert. So it's you know I brought this one on myself. 
<laughs> and if like I probably did a bad job about even like setting that up up front is um in my long winded explanation of why you were having your own earlier. Um but there is um uh, again like you know we want to like obviously everyone have a voice and like have like a better understanding so like essentially everyone can fucking like get along like it's so cliche but it's like you know we want people to be informed um and like we like don't know a lot of things or um you know about the lgbtq community and in terms of um you know in terms of uh, you know uh identifying what gender you are and all these things so like you know obviously chris like anytime we have a question i'm pretty sure it must be chris is like asking you so like because <laughs> um, <laughs> I feel like we've had like a lot of questions, so um, you know. In so next time Chris asks me something, I'm going to be like, "Does this one come from Braxton or is this yours?" Yeah, <laughs> it's like a group. We're like literally this podcast started because we're in like a group chat and we're like, "Man, let's just start a podcast." We took us maybe a day or so to come up with a name. We're like, "Dude, it's a group text. We talk about everything." So. There you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, but um, no, nah, you know what I wanted to to do. I know we talked about um, being Jewish in the South. Just talk about like your process, because obviously, knowing you through middle school and high school, you weren't the person we know now. So um, just talk about that and the pressures of going through that. I think that would be cool for people to hear. Okay, sure. Uh, yeah. So first of all, I guess to say a couple of things about myself and how I identify myself and who I view myself as. Um, like I said, my name is Marie. Uh, I prefer to use they and them pronouns, which, you know, we'll, we'll start to dig into that a little bit more later on, but you know, there's, there's she and she and he pronouns, there's they and them pronouns. There's a bunch of different types of pronouns that people can use to describe themselves. And those are my preferred ones. Uh, and I also, in terms of my sexuality, I identify as a queer human being. Um, again, you know, people, there are all different types of labels that people can use. People can be straight, people can be gay, they can be lesbians, they can be bisexual, they can be pansexual, all of these different things, various words that we've heard, which again, we'll probably talk about this later on. Um, but I identify as queer. Um, and for me, what that specifically means is, um, both in relationship to how I view myself uh, navigating the world and the people that I am attracted to. I view myself as being outside of society's norms. Um, the norms being that there are only men and women and that men should be attracted to women uh, and that women should be attracted to men. Um, so I view like, I tend to, like, in terms of, you know, like, the types of people I'm attracted to, it, it tends, I, I tend to be more attracted to, like, women or people who uh, aren't men, if you will. Uh, yeah, so that's kind of just to give you a little bit of reference as to how I view myself. So that being said, I have not always been this way, um, or at least I have not always known that I was this way, uh, though when I was a child, I do... I recall um, 
you know, this is honestly, like if, I, if I'm being totally upfront about this, this is like one of those types of things you end up going to therapy for, right? You go to therapy and start to like hash back and look back at your entire history mm-hmm. and to understand the point at which you realized that you were something other than what society would be deeming for you, right? Um, so, so there's kind of this, uh, and memory is interesting like that, you know, like trying to go backwards in time and really relate to yourself in the way that like that you do now is kind of tough because when I was growing up, I didn't have access to the experiences I would go through later in life that then I could like analyze and compart like put into compartments and like understand the patterns of behavior and to see like, oh, if I had looked at it this way, or if I had known, it would have been very abundantly queer to me, queer, clear to me that I was queer, <laughs> right? So that would be queerly. Um, yeah, so there, that's like a kind of interesting thing. So, you know, I think one of the questions people ask a lot of the time is like, how long have you known that you were this way? And it's, it, it's kind of a tough question. It can be a tough question to answer sometimes. But yeah. that being said, uh, you know, the, the probably the person that Chris would like recognize or like the person that Chris knew was um, a small, feisty, blonde haired girl who was a little bit tomboyish, enjoyed sports, was like pretty good at, you know, was pretty, pretty academic, like smart and stuff. And but very much was a part of a group of girls that if you were to look at, you know, um, kind of like traditional high school cliques and stuff would be in that kind of Venn diagram of the sporty kids and the popular kids. Right. So put those two together. And that's kind of that's that's what I from the outside eye. That is the person I think that I probably would have been. Chris, does that is my my laying that out? Does that seem correct? Yes, um, that's, I mean, I was with, I was inside that same group of that circle of friends. So I would, I would definitely agree there that um, if you're watching a movie, we would definitely, we definitely would have been like the jocks slash popular kids slash. Yeah. 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 And I think that, you know, and not, you know, and to be able, I think to be able to describe it that way is really helpful Um, because I think that, you know, we all, everyone's a complex human being and we've all been through a lot of different things, but it's a good touch point to kind of just be like, okay, if you were watching this high school movie from the nineties, like this is the cohort of people I would have fit within. And then you can kind of paint your own picture of what I would have been, the types of things I was interested in, you know, who I hung out with, like what I did on my weekends and all of that kind of a thing. Yeah. I'm just Um, picturing like varsity blues and, and Chris's uh <laughs> what's the guy, Chris? Uh, what's uh, what's James Vanderbeek's uh character name? Varsity uh, Mox. Moxie. <laughs> yeah, Jonathan Mox, the Fox. <laughs> so so Chris there is Jonathan go. Mox. <laughs> yeah, I love that movie. But um <laughs> no, nah, just because what's funny is I kind of saw the transition when we were in college and we came up to Boston and he actually came to our tailgate and watched the uh, uh, Clemson football game with us, which you didn't go oh watch. Oh my the- God. The- yeah. Tailgate. That that's crazy. I do remember I biked all the way to Boston college and it was like so hilly and I was so hungover and I was like, <laughs> I gotta go see Chris. I gotta go see Chris. Yeah. So that's basically the way, okay. If I, if I were to write this narrative for myself or the way that I kind of tell this story for, for me personally is I was really good at 
I didn't understand at the time that this is what I was doing, but in retrospect, I was really good at camouflaging myself in into appearing the most kind of like normal as possible. And I think it's important to say that in the South, like homogeny is important. You know, in the Northeast, people are granted a lot more leeway to do whatever they want to and to still be able to fit within like the social norms. Like yeah. it's almost more normal to be unique here, right? right. But in yeah. the South, that's not what the South is about. You know, it's it's really about really specific codes and and norms and um, uh, like appearances that are acceptable and behaviors that are acceptable and ways of being, right? And yeah. I was good at doing it. I, I was fine. Like I... I think I was a really successful chameleon. Um, but all the while, there was this kind of nagging, nagging part of me. And it just knew with that. It was an implicit understanding that there was a person I needed to become that I was not going to be able to do when I was in the surroundings of my hometown. Um, so that's kind of like the overall story for me. Um, but within that, even in terms of like understanding queer things, you know, I think that there were a lot of little flags along the way that like if I, for example, was raised in a place that had a model of what it meant to be queer or a model of when it meant to be like a lesbian or even the model of when it what it meant to be a gay man, I would have been able to more easily kind of like find out how to be but the only thing I knew to be was what everyone around me was right it's like that that's all I knew um and but the thing that started to give me access to understand that there were like a lot of different potential ways of being there's like number one this underlying current of like a slight anxiety that every couple of years would like ping me and the way that I remember it was just kind of me being like, it wasn't me questioning whether or not I was like gay or queer. It was me telling myself that I wasn't, right? It wasn't being like, am I this? It was just being like, no, no, you're not this. And like most people that aren't that don't just kind of ask themselves, like don't just say that statement to themselves, right? They're not just, they don't like wake up one day and be like, oh yeah, no, no, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not gay. Like, no, no. You know, and that's um, and that was a thing that that was like kind of an underlying current. Um, but I think the thing that actually like facilitated me being able to ultimately explore was it was actually through Judaism. I was very involved in this uh, Jewish youth organization. And what was really cool about that was that I was able to meet people from different cities and different states, mm -hmm. which is a thing that like most people I knew in Colombia didn't know a lot of people from other places. Yeah. And I think that that was my first kind of example of not of a queer model, but of a model that like, oh, everything isn't like South Carolina. Was um, it, did you do birthright? Yeah. So I never did birthright uh, because... I, I, I went to Israel once when I was younger, I think I was 16 or 17. Um, by time I thought about doing birthright, my views and beliefs and positions on, um, Israel and Zionism as a whole had kind of changed. Mm -hmm. And so birthright wasn't totally a thing that like made sense for me. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, but I, I really attribute Judaism and my experience with 
so the organization I was in was called BBYO, B'nai B'rith Youth Organization. Um, but they, that really like gave me the tools to at least know that something was out there. And then from there I ended up, you know, like Chris can attest to this, like hardly anyone from our high school went farther than like 400, 500 miles away to go to college. And I was one of like three people that was like, deuces and went (laughs) all the way to Boston. That was going to be my question. It was like, get, you know, was that like a big factor and like, uh, you know, choosing to go up North or just somewhere far away from Columbia. It was like, you know, trying to like find this part of yourself that you just couldn't do, I guess, you know, being, you know, in Columbia. Right. And it was, I didn't like, like I, in my head, I wasn't like, and I will go somewhere and I will become something else. But like, (laughs) I implicitly within me, I knew that there was something I had to become and I knew I had to fucking get out of South Carolina. And I'm lucky, you know, I had the privilege to be able to leave. I had parents that were willing to help take out all of these loans and to, you know, they, they wanted that for me. And that's a thing, you know, a lot of people who are like me are not granted the access that I had to be able to go off into the world and explore. And it, it's an extreme privilege to be able to do what I was able to do. Um, that being said, at the time, I was an 18-year-old piece of shit, so I didn't view it as like a privilege. I was just like, oh, I have to leave. I've got to get out of here. I can't be here anymore. This place is stifling. You know, like I was an asshole. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so i I went to Boston and I guess that that's, you know, where Chris can kind of say that, that, you know, he, even he was able to begin to like witness this change within me. And it was, I was exposed to different surroundings and I started learning about different things that existed. I started learning that I grew up in a specific narrative and a specific story in a specific way. And I was made to be something particular and specific based on, um, the conditions I was around. And I, learned that that wasn't necessarily the truth it was one of many ways of being and you know that kind of once my eyes were opened to that that's where I guess a lot of my um exploration I guess started taking place yeah it was actually like it was dope to see and this is a good part about um social media Facebook Twitter, et cetera, is because you actually see things like that. And whether people realize it or not, their social media really does tell what they're thinking. So you're starting to see more posts about like your transition. You're starting to see more things that you share on on your Facebook about your transition. You probably don't even do it um, with, with thinking this way or doing it more subconsciously than anything. But I started to like recognize a lot of that. And this is back before, Facebook got the bad rap of watch what you <laughs> post on your Facebook. Um, so it was crazy to see all that. But it for some reason, it made more sense to me. Um, just noted, knowing you and because we had crazy conversations, very like intellectual conversations throughout high school, stuff that I don't, I don't know if most high school kids talk about. We actually had like real conversations about shit. And um it was just it just made more sense to me, just seeing yeah. reasons. It's and it's cool when that happens when when something clicks and you're like, this isn't this doesn't feel forced. It just it it's like oh this picture, this picture was incomplete and it wasn't like I didn't totally realize it was incomplete, 
But when you add this particular splash of color, it just becomes more of itself, right? Yeah. It just like it starts to get filled in in a particular way, and that's what's really cool. Um, when I was younger, I think that a lot of the way that this manifested itself was me kind of like shitting on the South and me or or me being like like really trying trying to separate myself from the South. I can see now from the vantage point that the South wasn't actually what I was trying to escape. I was trying to escape a, a rule, you know, a set of like social norms and rules that I was made to yeah. follow. But you can even tell, like I, for example, when I was 16, I got rid of my Southern accent. Like I used to, like my whole family speaks a lot more like traditional Southerners. And I just, when I was 16, I, first of all, I cut the word y'all out of my life, which is really interesting because in terms of gender nu neutral pronouns, y'all is basically the best gender neutral pronoun for a group of people. Um, it's, it's incredible. But, you know, I, I cut it out of my life when I was 16 and I also stopped speaking, like I, I got rid of my accent and it was a, it was my way of trying to be like, this isn't me, like I don't quite belong here, like this isn't on me. Um, in retrospect, like I, I think it would have been cool if I could have gone the route that I did without necessarily having to like shed the skin of where I'm from. Cause right. you know, as I get older, I'm able to, for example, I have reintegrated the word y'all into my life also because of necessity, because the word has migrated North. So people in the North say it all the time. So now it doesn't even have the same weight to it. Um, <laughs> I unfortunately can't ever get my Southern accent back. I don't know how to do that. Uh, but, um, yeah, so I, I, I think there's, there are like these little markers and signs that I used that like kind of expressed, started to express the person I would become eventually. But it was just because that was what was in my, that was in my toolkit at the time. Like I, I knew I had an accent and I could get rid of it, or I knew I could stop using this word and then people wouldn't associate with me with that space. Um, but again, like I said, it's in, from this vantage point, I see I, I wasn't railing on the South. I was railing on what I felt like the South was dictating that I was supposed to become and stuff like that. When, whenever you like got to Boston and you know, obviously you're meeting people like you go to college and then you just meet like because my experience in college, like I said, I didn't know like to to keep going with the um, on the Judaism train. Like I said, I didn't know any. And then like two, three of or I guess two of my rooms and like a suite of eight people, um, you know, were Jewish. So I started like learning all these things about Judaism stuff like really quickly all these like stereotypes and things that I knew nothing about and and then then that kind of like dribbles down into like when you're watching a show or TV or something it's like holy shit I missed out on like like 90% of the jokes in Seinfeld <laughs> or just like yeah you're like what was Seinfeld <laughs> <laughs> yeah just like just little things like that but um you know, it's like hard to pinpoint like how quickly you you kind of pick those things up and just kind of like go with the flow of it and kind of just like, you know, put it in your your mental repertoire or whatever. But like, like, did you find yourself like increasingly going to a crowd who who may have been kind of going through the same things as you were or people were like already there or, you know, at at this point would they um, you know, we're kind of going through these things where you kind of draw to like a certain group of people. Like, can you talk about that a little bit? Totally, totally. Yeah. So I would say that my freshman year of college, I lived like a, a really like 
like my freshman year of college would not be that different from like the the like high school scenario save for I was in college and I was in Boston um but towards towards the end of my freshman year of college is when I kind of started being able to like express myself in particular ways that at that time I didn't really relate to being about my sexuality or about my gender identity or anything like that it was just kind of even it was, for example, like I would wear a lot of like neon colors, things like that. So it just like it was a, a style, if you will. Like I was starting at a very broad sense to understand a style that I wanted to incorporate. And for me, a lot of my expression is about my personal style and is about my fashion. And so it makes sense that that kind of like began there. But my fr- for my freshman year, you know, I, the, the, my social networks and all of that stuff were still pretty like just um, pretty straight, pretty heteronormative, pretty like, you know, just run of the mill like is what it, what it was. But kind of like my late, my late freshman year and beginning of sophomore year um, is where I started. It's like you do this thing where, where you kind of self con or subconsciously start slightly putting yourself in spaces where you're more more likely to see a kind of thing happening. Um, and for me, that space was I, I started hearing about this place where at the when it when I first heard about it, it was called the Women's Resource Center, and over time it changed to the Center of Gender and Sexuality. But I had recalled like seeing a group of people that looked kind of interesting to me um and I didn't quite understand why they seemed interesting in retrospect it's because it was a big group of queer people um but I was just kind of like oh those people are interesting and I remember there was this event my sophomore year of college there was there was this event that took place at our Hillel um and it was I think that if the event title either had the word queer or feminist or something in it, like it had, it had something, or maybe it just had the word woman in it. I don't know. It, it was, it was clear that it was like of a cohort of people. Like it, it was, it was, we were starting to hedge towards this like gender and sexuality space. And I just, I just chose to go to this event and, you know, again, reflecting on it, I see that as I started to feel secure hear enough about something or needing to explore something that I was prompted to go like by myself to this event, which is, it's important to note here that like, I don't, I don't often do very many things totally alone. Like I tend to do things in groups, like specifically like going to an event or something. I, that's not a thing I tend to do by myself, mm-hmm. but this one I was driven to go to by myself. And when I was there, I kind of saw this cohort, this like group of people and I kind of like, I think I saw them, but they also saw me because, you know, that's like that as much as they were excited to be in the space with each other, they were also excited to see a person they had never seen before in that space. Because whatever this line of this story is, you know, there's you go to a thing, and you put yourself there. And then slowly you start to weave this tapestry around yourself. You know, like at first you're just like, you just see one tiny little thread and you kind of like yank at it a little bit and you inspect it and you're like, what is this? And you start to follow it. And then eventually you have this entire long thing and you, you then 
build a community around yourself. Like that's kind of how it happens over time. And so I think to be in that space, I saw them, but they saw me. And so I, that work was mutual. Like I didn't just have to then kind of start to put, put myself in these spaces and put myself in the world. I think that they also gravitated towards like my existence. Right. So I think it was this kind of mutual thing. And over the next year or so, I started just kind of becoming a part of that, uh, like, again, it was at the time Women's Resource Center, later on Center for Gender and Sexuality, but I started kind of like, I would like go to the Women's Resource Center, like go to these other spaces that no one else I was friends with knew they those spaces even existed because they were all just like straight people and they didn't have any reason to go there, but it was, I started going there and you know, as I was there over time, it started becoming, you know, it, it started gaining weight in my life. It, I didn't start getting weight. It started gaining weight. Um, <laughs> like, so maybe I did too, you know, probably both. Um, but yeah, so it started kind of gaining this like significance in my life and I started to seek it out more. And that's, and over time, whereas most of my friends had been people that I had either met on my fresh, my, my floor, my freshman year of college, or like friends of friends kind of thing, it started becoming my first hyper intentional curation of a friendship group. And they were queer people. Yeah, well, I just wanted to get into um, gender sober and have you explained that a little bit? I don't think it's it's not technically a nonprofit, is it? So it is now. I am now officially now. an incorporated nonprofit, nice. but it's under the name of If You Want It, um, rather uh, than Gender Is Over. Nice. Yeah. Congrats. That's pretty dope. Because I know when I asked you before about it being a nonprofit, when we spoke, you said it wasn't. So that's big. Nice. I'm glad. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I can I can kind of um how so what kind of do you want me to just kind of talk yeah. about what it well, is and just uh, yeah, what say what for? what the aim is or obviously we kind of get from the name what the aim is but how it came about and how the Time magazine article came about too cuz I think that'd be cool. Cool, sure. Sure. So, okay. So for the past two years, I have been working on a not-for-profit project, which uh, since o- October of 2016, around there, that's when I started filing my actual paperwork to become an actual uh, non-profit. Um, so now I am a non-profit. But for the past two years, I have been running a t-shirt project. Uh, I sell t-shirts that say, gender is over if you want it. It is a play on uh, John Lennon and Yoko Ono's War is Over If You Want It. And um, I sell shirts and I take the proceeds and I donate them to grassroots LGBTQ organizations doing work um, in those spaces. So the kind of overall, like what the project is, is I'm a nonprofit that supports the fight for gender self-determination and body sovereignty. And I do this through shirt sales um, concerts and other types of fundraising events like charitable giveaways and things like that. And I also facilitate a lot of like online community. Um, and so that's kind of, that's the overarching picture about what this is. Two years ago, um, a friend and I started, we, we, we made these shirts, we made them for ourselves, but we needed to make, uh, 20 of them just to make basically meet a print minimum. 
And mm-hmm. so we were able to get around 20 or like 18 of our friends who felt similarly about this idea of uh, gender is over if you want it, which is, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not to be taken literally. It's a, it is a declarative statement that basically the, the ethos behind it is that we as an organization or we as, as the people of gender is over or me as Marie as the person, I think that society's emphasis on assigned binary gender roles is harmful and damaging and it's often violent. And mm-hmm. so this is kind of a bratty, like punchback statement against that. And that's kind of what the project is about. And that's the crux of it. A really cool thing, uh, because despite being the person who runs the project and facilitates it, it's not about me. And it's, a not, it's not about how I relate to the project. It's about how other people who purchase the shirts relate to the project. So before anyone buys a shirt, they have to answer the question, what does gender is over if you want it mean to you? And then I ask people if they want, if like I basically get consent to be able to publicize their result or their answers onto a Tumblr. So the Tumblr, like genderisover.tumblr.com, is just full of thousands of responses of it of individuals answering what that question means to them. And it normally stays pretty in line with the idea that binary gender roles are harmful and damaging, and that they, you know, they're fighting against that. And that's kind of where it where it sticks. So that's like a that's what the organization is. Um, we've been selling shirts for around two years. Uh, we've sold around 2,700 of them. And as of this end of December 2016, I, we've donated $20,000 to grassroots organizations. And that's just going to keep going. So it's, it's cool. It's, um, you yeah, know, it's, awesome. it's, yeah. And it's, it's, it's really cool because, you know, like I said, it's it's decentral. It's a decentralized message, but it is still under this kind of umbrella of autonomy and gender self determination. And um, yeah, so that's that's what the project is. So that's what I've been doing for the past two years. Uh, and as far as the time uh, thing happens, it's a lot of that was actually incredibly serendipitous. Uh, you know, I was already working to incorporate myself as a nonprofit independently of any of that publicity stuff happening. And just the timeliness, uh, pun pun intended, um, the timeliness of it, you know, just ended up like working out really, really well. Um, but the reason I ended up on the cover of Time magazine is that my through a series of connections, including a, a good friend who uh identifies as non-binary, meaning that um, they are neither man nor woman. They kind of exist in flux between the two. Um, they did an interview. They they did an interview with Time at some point. Um, so because earlier, I think that like earlier in the year, they were on a on a, like a, a BuzzFeed article, um, and it was about it was it was transgender and gender queer people who were modeling as their like like public icons and my friend uh did a photo shoot dressed or like looking like david beckham and um you know it was like david beckham doing like underwear modeling mm-hmm. and um yeah so so through like a very series of connections they were asked to do an interview with Time, and it was for this piece, which is basically about the um, expansion of 
the way that our generation, the millennial generation, uh, views gender, um, how gender isn't, we're not just viewing gender anymore as this or that. We're yes anding gender. You know, we're saying like gender is this. Yeah. And it's also this. And it's also this. It's, it's this bigger thing. And so that was kind of the, uh, the concept of the piece. So Casey ended up argue or not arguing, interviewing for them. And eventually the, the person named Katie Steinmetz, she was writing the article. She kind of wanted to talk to other people that were doing work in the space. And so Casey pointed her in my direction um, because I have been, like I said, doing this gender over project for the past couple of years. And um, yeah, so we sat down and we had an interview in, I think it was late August or early September. We talked a lot about what it is that my project does and how I view myself. And, and one of the biggest things we talked about then was about generational perceptions, uh, generational differences between the perceptions of the project. So how people that are millennial and younger relate to the project versus how people that are like any generation above that relate. And that was one of the big, you know, cause this is for time and time has a, a slightly older demographic. I think that the median age is around 50. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And <clears throat> so, you know, that's, so that was one of the big focuses of the piece is kind of where the generations meet. And um, yes, so we ended up talking about that for a really long time. And it, it was a great interview. I really enjoyed talking with her. Um, it, it, it was super good. And then in October, um, they reached back out to me and they were essentially like, hey, uh, we would love to take some photos of you for this article. Like, we, we really enjoyed your interview. We think it'd be really cool to like have you, you know, take photos. And at that point, I was like okay that sounds really cool i gotten i put a bunch of my clothes in a garment bag got in a cab and went to a long island city neighborhood and had a really fun photo shoot it was the first time i've ever i had ever done anything like that and it was, it was super cool and um yeah so the article was supposed to come out back in october um but if you recall there was this awesome scandal where our dearly beloved president was uh you know it was it found out that he said that it was acceptable to grab women by the pussies. Uh, yeah. So that kind of kicked that kicked the article back. You know, yeah. that that became that well, ended up becoming the uh, cultural conversation for the next fuck ton of months and probably for the rest of our lives. <laughs> that's, um, but, that's, that's just fucking crazy. Yeah. So it was, but what's interesting about this, I I was actually talking to my parents about this earlier tonight. What's, what's kind of interesting in a way, like I, and I, I don't wish this on the world at all, but you know, this is the scenario that's happening. So whatever. Um, Whereas before, before all of that happened, this article was going to be more of just kind of a like, hey, cool, look how awesome this is, right? Like, isn't this cool? Like, young people, they have multiple genders. They're not just men and women. They're all of these things. Like, that was going to be what the article felt like. But then, because of our current political landscape, uh, landscape's not the right word, hellscape, because (laughs) of our political hellscape, um, this article, which was going to be just kind of vanilla and cute, ended up becoming so charged. It had, yeah. it ended up kind of carrying more weight. It, it meant that like time was taking a stand on something, um, because uh, you know, on the other side of things, we have the our president and our administration, states like North Carolina taking a stand that's a horrible one, or you know, that's their decision. But it's you know, it's 
It's a one that goes against social progress. And so that's, it's kind of interesting that this article that wasn't necessarily meant to be politicized ended up becoming politicized and because of that, just because of the timeliness. Again, pun intended. Yeah. No, it was, it's funny that you say that. Uh, one, it's, one, this article, just you being on the cover reminded me of like how cool magazines could be or how cool they used to be when more people were actually subscribing to magazines and having them sent to the house, just like flipping through, seeing the pictures, like just going through this Time magazine, I've seen like some cool articles that I'm gonna go back and read because it just, they're interesting. But two, similar to that, I was listening to like NPR the other day and I'm loosely quoting this lady, but they had this uh, woman on NPR, she was a Muslim woman and she and I think the guy whoever was interviewing her asked her, um, how does she feel about uh, Muslim relations or the view of Muslims within the world, more specifically within this country? And she gave an interesting answer along the lines of it's the best it's ever been, but it's also the worst it's ever been. And her reasoning was more people are fighting for Muslim rights, more people are fighting for um, just equal rights in general, but also it seems like more people are fighting the opposite way as well, and there's Mm -hmm. more awareness around it, which makes it really good, but it's also makes it really bad. I feel like that's similar. Yeah, that's so that's a really interesting point about visibility in general. Like visibility for as incredible as it is, it also literally puts a target on a person's back, right? Yeah. Um and, and what's interesting is that progress in a lot of ways socially is always kind of happening. Um, but there's this point where it bubbles up and it gets to the mainstream, and when something becomes visible in the mainstream, it then becomes like the the message, the context become everyone's message and everyone cons everyone's context and they can do whatever they want to with it and they, and you see the the bad of it and the good of it. So it's almost like everyone's seeing it now. Uh, it's not that the stuff wasn't always there and it's not that like these things didn't always exist, but now that it's made to be in the public, everyone gets to have their own fucking opinion about it. Beforehand, yep. you know, rights for queer people and rights for transgender people and all of that stuff where a lot of that was happening on lower levels already, you know, like campuses were like liberal spaces and like all of this stuff. Like a lot of that was happening, but now it's like up in the mainstream and it means that like the conversation belongs to everyone and it also means that a lot of things become super symbolic and really like it starts holding this really particular weight that comes just from the visibility of it and of itself and that's that's tough like i you know i the best experience i can speak from is of the queer one you know but like i think that even as you were saying with like the muslim woman on npr it's it's real it's it's it Everything is complex, you know, and everything is made of these multifaceted ways of being and 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 scales and ebb, things ebb and flow all of the time. And it's it's just really important to I think when you, for example, are asking like when when one of the things that we need to create 
like policy change, for example, is like for for LGBTQ people to be protected in the same way that everyone else is protected, to be able to like not lose their jobs or any of that, that requires people to come out and say that they are LGBT, right? Because we don't live in a society that simply believes that because people exist, like they should be able to have access to everything. You have to fucking prove it. Not only do you have to prove it, you then have to be like, look, dad, I'm gay. That's why you have to support it, right? Like it can't just, because your dad's not just gonna believe that because there are gay people, they'd believe it. It has to be something that matters to them. It has to get closer and closer to them. And that's where visibility comes into play. So like people are made to be visible. Like LGBTQ people have to be like, hello, we exist, we're visible. But when you do that, it it creates this entire backlash where everyone's like, shut the fuck up. We don't care that you're visible. Like, I don't give a fuck about you. And it's like, well, I don't really care about you either. But this is the only way that I'm going to be able to eventually enact policy change that will support this cohort of people. And that's that's how it ends up being both good and bad simultaneously, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it feels like, I mean, that's like, that's such an interesting, you know, quote, Chris, or paraphrase whatever she said because that i feel that same like it just seems like everything now is like coming to a head you know on both sides it's like it's like everything seems so polarized right now um you know for obvious reasons but maybe you know even before the election all this stuff it just seemed like you know everything is so polarized where it's like it's like the it's like the best that it's ever been you know, for black people, but also like, you know, the hardest that has ever been too. And then like for, for every other like type of minority, it, it just seems that way. And I don't know, I'm sure it has a mix to do with like the times and everything that's going on. But also I think like the more involved you are with it too, like the more it seems that way as well. Um, at least personally, um, I, you know, I, just from my perspective, um, that's that's what it seems like, but I don't I don't know if 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 crystals that way or not, but um. no, I agree. I just think it's interesting that it's um it's so many different fights going on right now. Right. Um, it's the LGBTQ fight for rights, um, acknowledgement, uh, for the most part. Um, and it's crazy going back to what you're saying about um going back to what Marie was saying about um the ebb and flow it's crazy that nothing is all black and white there's so much gray area and everything except for for some reason when it comes to like sexuality we try to make it black and white which is weird to me um Mm -hmm. there's no transracial it is black and (laughs) like (laughs) you're not transracial racial dole is all you're (laughs) <laughs> you're not <laughs> we don't believe yeah. let's just throw that out there that's why i'm gonna draw the line but uh <laughs> but but even but yeah i was gonna say but i mean with like mixed race people even then it's like what do you identify as you know like but i just think it's, we just try to make everything so black and white and it's especially when it comes to sexuality and i just think it's absolutely ridiculous which is leading me to um kind of what i wanted to figure out because there's so many there's levels to this um and i didn't really know this before reading the article pansexual aromantic asexual genderqueer two-spirit 
and I guess there are others because the article says and on and on. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the like like one of the things that immediately I like saw in the article was like on Facebook. There's like 60 different ways that you can identify your gender. Did I read that correctly? Yeah, I tried to say my gender was pizza, and they said I couldn't do it. So I was like, whatever, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> like one guy's quote says, I totally believe there are 100 to 200 shades in the middle. I, like, just off as quickly or in as fewer words as possible that you would, could explain these terms marie just try to explain them like what's pansexual what's aromantic asexual gender queer and two-spirit just try to explain that so okay i think that rather than try to like explain like what any of those individual terms specifically mean i think what's kind of the more important thing here is to talk about like what the role, like, what is the purpose of those? Like, why, why do terms like that kind of exist? And why are there, why is there like an ever flowing amount of different like words that people can apply to themselves to mean things? Cause it's, it's it, it, no matter which way you slice and dice it. Yeah. If, if there are like 200 different ways that a person can relate to themselves and it's going to be, it's going to be tough to like, know. like if a person's yeah. just like, it, that's tough. And that's, but a lot of this is, I think it's important to think about like our language and how language, as much as it's a communication tool that helps us find other people and helps us, you know, like find commonalities, it also is very limiting because it requires us to like make an assertive statement about who we are, slap a label on a thing, and then like go to town on it, right? Um, so basically, those all those terms that you laid out are different types of both genders and sexualities. So pansexual, for example, means that you are attracted to people of all genders. So think of that as if, if bisexual means that you're, you are attracted to both men and women, both yeah. of the two binary genders, pansexual means that you're like you recognize that gender itself is on a spectrum that gender is more than just being man or woman and that pansexual means that you you find yourself as being attracted to all different genders um so yeah i i don't i think that like one thing we can do rather than or like we can do um instead of like necessarily trying to like explain what all of those different terms mean. I think like one, it's just that what the way that you should be relating to those is those are terms that are in relationship to like gender and sexuality. And when we're talking about gender, we're talking about like how you relate to yourself. So um, I think that one of the things that people ask a lot about this, there's, so we're, we're talking about what are all these different genders in terms of things that we, we perceive as being kind of like not normal or not like not normal, but not things that we've known, not the things that we were told, not the things that we grew up with, right? Um, and one of the words that we've been hearing about a lot recently is the word cisgender. Um, yeah. So I think that that might be a good kind of way of we can like talk about that. And then from there, I think you'll kind of have like the tools to like go off and um, 
Yeah. Like look up those other terms and see what they mean. So if that's, do you guys want me to kind of yeah, talk about yes, what definitely because even though you you explained this to me before via text when I asked you and it's still hard to grasp because yep. people get like straight males mostly get like bent out of shape when somebody from the LGBTQ labels them as cis and I don't understand it uh, so that would be good just to just to get that get that out there cool all right yeah so okay so to preface all of this like you know we've probably throughout this conversation i've kind of have just like thrown out words that two of you might have been kind of like huh what is that but like you just took it in stride like whatever but like we can like take a couple steps back and actually kind of start to like frame this conversation a little bit so to preface like the answer to like what is cis what we got to do we're going to think about what we're talking about or talking about gender. I'm going to hope I'm going to try to like help get you into my my frame of mind. So, the dominant and westernized and straight-centered narrative of gender is one that tells a story that we're probably all familiar with. Um when a baby is born or, you know, or in many cases when they're in utero, the presence of a penis or a vagina is going to determine if that child is going to be a boy or a girl. So in my world, this is referred to as assigned sex at birth. So at this yeah. point, it's important to pay attention to gender is about the set, the set of societal roles and also the way that you view yourself. And sex is about the anatomy that you have. Sex is about our bodies, right? So from the day that you're born, and if you have a penis, you become a boy. If you have a vagina, you are a girl. Um, you know, gender roles start to set in after that. Gender yeah. roles are what kind of dictate the desired and appropriate, uh, acceptable appearances and behaviors of someone based on their perceived sex. So, mm-hmm. you know, like, stay at home and raise the children or be the breadwinner, you know, that shit. That's uh, boys are expected to be masculine. Girls are expected to be feminine. Like, these are the gender roles that start happening based on, again, the sex that you was the sex that you were assigned at your birth, right? Pink and blue, color pink, color blue, all kinds of shit. Exactly, exactly. So the gender binary is, it's on this, it's, it's, not, it's not really viewed as a scale. It's not really viewed as a sphere. It's not really viewed as a, um, a thing of exploration. It's viewed as a social truth, and it's viewed as man, and it's viewed as woman, and it's coercive. And people who don't perform their gender role well or people who resist their gender role, or people who don't kind of like fit the mold exactly, are often cast aside, they're put in physical harm, or they're ignored. Um, One of the ways that we see this happen a lot are uh, when we're younger, men or boys that exhibit traits that we do not to be viewed as masculine, regardless of if that person actually views themselves as gay, we, we people, call them gay or people call them a faggot or people call them a sissy. And that's when a person isn't performing their gender role the way that like society has deemed they're supposed to. Right. Yeah. So on top of that, like we're expected to have a gender that matches the sex that we were assigned. So that's really, that's the important kind of crux here. Like we, if you were born with a penis, you're supposed to be a boy. If you're born with a vagina, you're supposed to be a girl right and that's kind of that's what's happening here and 
But it's important to know that this is like this is a social script that we've been given. It's a script that we've been made to follow. It's not a necessary truth. It is it is a social role and a social script. Um, and not only that, what'd you say? I said it's fucking Westworld. Yeah, basically. It, it you right. Um, but yeah, so and it's and and so along with that, along with this being like a script, like all all across for for all of history, there have been people trying to either rewrite the script or people who don't quite fit into the script. But we have this script like systematically erases all of the examples of other humans that don't fit within the binary. Um, mm -hmm. So, like, for example, some people are born with genitals that you actually would be considered ambiguous. Like, you can't identify whether or not they would be a boy or a girl, or these people are called intersex. Um, or some people actually align with a gender that is opposite from what their genitals might say about them. These are people that we would call transgender. Um, and actually, before I kind of keep going, I think it's important to note that um, historically, People that were born with genitalia that couldn't be categorized, like if you a, a little baby was born and that baby had something that maybe kind of looked like a penis, but actually wasn't quite literal long enough. Like there's like a, a literal like a, you people used to hold a ruler, like an actual ruler, and it needed to like be like a certain amount to be able to be deemed a penis, right? But like mm -hmm. some babies just like didn't have. Like, it's literally like a dick measuring contest from like the day you fucking come out of the uterus, right? Um, <laughs> But anyway, so like historically, people that uh, had like genitalia that couldn't be categorized, they were surgically altered to be perceived better perceived as one of the sexes. So a lot of the time this would happen even without parents knowledge or parents would have the knowledge and they would make a decision. So the, the doctors would be like, oh, this genitalia is, in it, is ambiguous. We're not, you know, we, we recommend surgery and they would either turn it into what would be more readily perceived as a vagina or they would mold it in a way that be more readily perceived uh, as a penis. Um, so, and then from there on out, the person would be made to embody whatever gender was paired with now their altered body that like made them be the correct sex. So what the fuck is natural about that? You know, like what, what, how is it, how is that nature? And um, it's, so when I said earlier that people were, people that don't fit into these molds are being erased. I like literally mean erased. Like these people yeah. are not being there. They are never given an opportunity to be anything other than what someone has determined they're going to be from the time that they're born. Actually, there was a Katie Couric documentary that came out a few um, months back with National Geographic. I think it'd be really, I probably both of you would enjoy it. I think it does a really like extensive job of kind of digging into like some of the stuff that I'm talking about right now. What's um, it called? So right. You can, it's called, I think it's called like Gender Revolution with Katie Couric or something. Um, but if you if you Googled Katie Couric gender documentary. Uh, it's actually it called Gender Revolution. <laughs> there you go. There A you journey go. with Katie Couric. So, yeah, exactly. And it, it's good. Like, I think it, it begins it begins in biology and I think it moves through in a really solid way. I think both of you would actually really like it. Um but all of that was a lot of preface to get back to what the actual crux of this question was, which is, you know, like, what does it mean to be cisgender? And all that cisgender means is that the gender that you identify with matches the sex that you were assigned at birth. So 
for example, Chris, you were born with external genitalia or what we would refer to as a penis and testicles and you view yourself as a man. Therefore, you equal a cisgender man. So this is compared to someone who, for example, like would be born with a penis and would be made to fill all of the social norms that come along with that, but they actually identify as something other than a man, perhaps as a woman. So that yeah. person would be a transgender woman. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Cool. So like in essence, the word cis is used basically meaning um, so if, if trans means like opposite, cis would mean same. Mm-hmm. Um, so in essence, the word cis is used to describe uh, it, what, what it does is it makes it clear that other forms of gender expression are real and valid. And what it does is it takes it takes what historically we would view or like not historically, but through through our social narrative and our social scripts of what we would view as man and woman. And it applies a slight, slight more descriptor onto it so that becoming being cis is just one of many ways to be rather than the way to be. Right. So woman is like the overall category. And within woman, there are cisgender women, there are transgender women, and there are different types of people who align with womanhood. Right. So using language like this is one of the ways that we start to kind of overwrite the dominant narrative that I was descri- that I was describing. And it's, it's not an insulting term. It's just a descriptive term used to decentralize like what we have always like viewed as like our normal language. Gotcha. Um, so like if you're identifying as, as cisgender, that's essentially just acknowledging that there are th- that there are other types of gender other than just male and female. And there's right exactly it doesn't it doesn't say anything more about you that than like hey i'm a person who was born with a penis and i view myself as a man therefore i'm cisgender and it's it's that's the only like role that it really serves um and it's yeah and it's 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 to mean that you are one of many ways to be you are not the only way of being and um one thing, Chris, you were kind of saying that you've noticed that a lot of straight, like straight men, are kind of in, insulted by this, or like get really up in arms about it, or probably say no homo. And you're yeah. like, I'm literally not saying you're homo. I'm literally just saying you are a person with a penis who views yourself as a man. But okay, you're just getting, you're freaking out because like the word cis is a word that's used by queer community and queer culture. Therefore, you're really afraid you're about to get gay because like a, a person's like calling you cis. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> but, you know, this is the thing. Like most people are resistant to change. Um, specifically when you're not personally invested in paying attention to something, um, it can really create a like, fuck that scenario. Um, and, um, I think that there's also, unfortunately, there are a, a lot, a lot, a lot of people in this world who don't want to believe that being something other than being cisgender is real or normal or okay. Um, you know, I'm putting air quotes around real and normal and okay. Um, so (laughs) I think, uh, I think that a lot of this resistance to like my, without being like, why are the dudes resisting? I think that what the resistance is in a lot of ways is kind of the statement of like, I prefer the status quo. 
Um, you know, even though moving, like letting society move beyond the this, this status quo actually has absolutely nothing to do with my own ex existence, I want to deny other people's rights to um, autonomy and self-determination. Um, but one, one kind of like extra little nudge on that, like even though I would say that like straight dudes are kind of like the ones that are more most aggressively like, nah, dude, nah, bro, like don't fucking say it. What do you call me, sis? What, you, what the fuck, dude? Um, this is actually a thing that, you know, there are a lot of cisgender women who, even though they consider themselves feminists, even though they consider themselves allies to the LGBTQ community, they're also super resistant to this kind of self-identification. And um, because it really, it makes you have to question a lot about yourself. It makes you have to hold a mirror up of something that for your whole life, because you, because you weren't a person who for their whole life questioned this. It just has been a truth for you. Um, when being put in a position where you're asked in some capacity to question it, it, it becomes really daunting and it becomes scary. And it, um, the way that most of our society reacts to things that are daunting and scary is not to welcome it with open arms, but rather to barricade yourself and to mm -hmm. not learn, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So realistically, because it's gender, you can be cisgender and lesbian cisgender and gay exactly exactly okay. so that makes sense. Yeah. yeah 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 i've been wondering that for a while now because it's easy to look it up online and try to read that way but it's so much more you learn so much more about it when you actually hear somebody explain it to you take you from uh pretty much the beginning like you did for us like giving us the whole like the full circle of it and it's it's cool to hear and i think it's a message that should be out there which is which i'm sure she just didn't have as much space to do it um and i'm sure she did another article on it but they don't really talk about that as much in the article as i thought they would um, it was more like people's personal experiences more than anything, which I thought was cool. Don't get me wrong. I think the article in Time is really good. I read it. I learned about different people's dope. Um, but they didn't really talk about that as much as I thought it would. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's 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 interesting because even one of the things you're kind of talking about is like the difference between being on a magazine versus reading an article online, where online all those things that you'd have questions about probably would be linked to, mm -hmm. and you could, it probably, like the word cisgender would have a little blue hyperlink, and yeah. you could yeah. go explore cisgender. But when you're reading a magazine, you can't like tap your glossy paper, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah, that's true. No, I read the but, article. But yeah, but I think that that's, yeah. Um, I read it, or I've been like, man, my life has been a whirlwind, but I read it, um, this morning a couple of times and it was it was like really great and um it's just always cool to hear like other people's you know experiences and um you know I don't, I'm, I'm just like really interested in people but um i don't know if um i like you answered like a lot of the stuff that i was gonna ask without me even asking um <laughs> i don't know if chris has like anything or if you have any final thoughts um that you want to share if not obviously like i want people to, to like know like how they can um 
how they can get a shirt or a sweatshirt or something from if you want it to be or how they can you know reach you or follow you on social media or whatever but um any sort of closing uh remarks that that you want to share if chris has something that he wants to say then go for it i don't um, well, have I... oh keep on oh no i was just saying i didn't have anything so you can go ahead and <laughs> yeah um, well, I, I'm super grateful that you guys wanted to like have me on this. And I also think that uh, it was cool to hear even like your premise of like what it is that you kind of talk about and what interests you. And, you know, you began by saying like as uh, like black people that were raised in the South and like kind of going to other places and like experiencing that, how that's so much of like what your narrative is narrative is and how you relate to each other and the things that you talk about. I think that one of the coolest things that happened here is that despite me being, you know, like a, a white person, like you see, you see a commonality between our experiences. You see the intersectional nature of them that um, that's kind of, what drives a lot of this. And so I, I, I think it's like, that's really cool to me. Um, and I think that intersectionality and basically where race meets class meets gender meets uh, different types of oppression, all of those things, like that's where, like, that's where America is. Right. Like, and that's, that's like what we are and that's like what we're made of. And it's, it's understanding that our differences though they manifest themselves and it leads us to have like walk through this earth in a lot of different ways and have access to a lot of different things or be oppressed by a lot of different things. Those are differences. And the fact that a lot of that still comes from being under a patriarchy that is, you know, run by cisgender white men who are largely Christian. Um, mm -hmm. I think that, I think that that is our is a really big commonality, and that's you know our, it's where our, uh, understanding that we are different, but knowing that we share a common oppression and yeah. how that's where our strength is. is yeah. pretty cool. And that's what's and that's what I was trying to allude to earlier. That's what's crazy to me that from literally from what you just said that we all share like this common oppression, and it's based on cisgender mostly i mean mostly cisgender white men who are in control of everything um who are just exerting power over everybody but for some reason there hasn't been like this movement that's been inclusive of everything and i know it's different people fighting for different things but i feel like it's still like that common oppression where you could have like um feminist you can have black lives matter you can have the lgbtq community genders over everybody just come together and fight um this one huge issue that we have but it's been so hard because there's so much fighting within as well like infighting is tough yeah yeah, yeah so you have um like obviously you have like black lives matter uh, but you also have black men who are fuck, super homophobic as well. Well, that's, that's not, like something or, I don't remember if Marie said it or Chris, but it was I think it was Chris. He was saying it's like, you know, 
the LGBTQ community, they're like just at this point just trying to get recognition, you know, as like you know, just how in whatever, like the sixties civil rights movement, like black people just want to get like recognized to have like basic rights. You know? Yeah, it's just so Yeah, like, as I said they wanted to be acknowledged. Acknowledged. Like, the first yeah. step is the acknowledgement, which I thought um Obama did make a huge acknowledgement by legalizing gay marriage. I thought that was dope. I went to a party in St. Louis. That happened when I lived in St. Louis. They had an LGBTQ uh, celebration in St. Louis, which was crazy. Uh, it was yeah. so many people out there. Um, the, every Almost every building was lit up with rainbow. And I thought that was really cool. Um, but it's it's never been that thing to where everybody could come together and like fight this one big Thing that's controlling and oppressing us all and I think yeah, part yeah. of that is the infighting and yeah. I wanted to get your thoughts on that too yeah I it, I mean it's tough I the way that I've just kind of been relating to it as of late is that um, uh, I think that being cohorts of people that recognize oppression and recognize privilege and recognize opportunity and understand our differences and choose to speak about our differences and our, you know, whatever. Um, I think that creating that scenario, like allowing for that scenario. So on the other side of things of like, you know, conservative people, like those conversations aren't being had in this way at all. So there's no it's almost just like a monolith of like a way of like kind of like being and perceiving things of like the oppressors are just like, yeah, no, we're good. We got, we, we got our families, we got our wives, we got our kids, we got our cars, we got our golf courses, we've got our arsenal of missiles that we can, you know, go wherever we want to go. Like whatever we're set, we're like, good. Like they're not having the conversations. So then on the other side of things, these conversations are being had um, and people are like aligning with them. And what kind of happens is when you talk about a thing, and you dig into it, you want to keep digging. Mm -hmm. And then what you're discovering is that this world is really, really, really fucking complex. Yeah. And it's made up out of a lot of different things. It's made up of billions upon billions of people. And once you start kind of getting into it, you kind of start going down these like individual rabbit holes, right? So yeah. there's it's hard because like looking at it from these two, two sides of things, if you will, like one is just kind of like, yeah, we're good. Like we're not like, they're not even thinking about anything. So there's no infighting to be had because there's no, um, they don't care. So then on the other side, it's made up of a bunch of people who fucking care and who really want to do well by stuff. Um, and I don't, I, I like, I don't totally know like what, to do with it all like the best that I know to do is to focus my energy is like on my space on not on my space you know like myspace.com but on my space um but like where where I know I can control things and where I know that I can handle things and where I know that I can you know focus and just try to always default to knowing that I am only the expert of my own experience and the people who want me to be able to speak for them I am not an expert on anyone else's experience and the best way for whatever we do to be more and more inclusive and representative is to have a person of 
a different experience there to represent themselves. But like, I don't, I don't know. Like I, it's, that, that's that's a really hard bit to chew on, and I think we're going to be chewing on it for like quite some time. If I'm being honest, you know, yeah. it'd be kind of intense. But yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. I think a part of it, it's kind of from reading uh, the new Jim Crow, and we can wrap up soon. Just from reading the new Jim Crow is one of those things where it's like a class system or whatever within that small like class where they made um, poor white people feel better, like that they were better than the black people in general. So that was a way to create a divide. And I feel like that's kind of how it's uh, working right now, that they've made it to where straight black men think they're better than gay black men and this and that. And it's just not that. I just don't understand how you can be oppressed and then oppress others yeah, the same. same. It's just, it's, it's, crazy. It, it's crazy to me. It's confusing and it makes my fucking head hurt. Yeah. It's, no, I mean, that's just it. Like, that's what's like, it's crazy to me. Like, the, just the more like that we've been talking is like exactly that. It's like you have been oppressed, like your old people have been oppressed. And it's like, I think people just, like, until you accept that, like, like until you accept all these things and, um then it's just gonna be like that cycle you know um you know it's just it's that simple to me but um this is a good start so (laughs) you know like i think it's like a good way to stop some of the inviting or whatever you know but it's just like having these like conversations um you know it's like the stuff that no one it's not even like that no one wants to talk about but it's just like half the time it's like well shit like who do i go to talk to about this sort of thing you know so um and that's like all we ever want to do is just like you know instead of like forming an opinion on something or whatever it's like talk to someone and get facts and learn more about it and just be educated yeah yeah i I think that's at least the starting point for sure for sure um well marie i really appreciate you talking to us um i like i loved it it was great to talk sorry yeah. if i ever blabbed for too long you know <laughs> no, no, you ever seen that meme where it's like the two people like walking down what looks like a black hole essentially and it's like i need these kind of friends i feel like <laughs> <laughs> like that's what it is basically where you just go to the, like i don't know i think all of us um like really like having you know these conversations because it's like thought provoking and gets you thinking and um you know i think they're like really important to have and it's like important to have um those kind of people in your life where you can have those conversations um because you know a lot of people don't um so i feel like we're all lucky um if the people like want to find you or um donate if you wanted to be how do they do all these things yeah, so you can find my handle across all of the internet is at genderisover, um, or genderisover.com is where you can go and tell me what the idea means to you, and you can get a shirt there, or you can donate, you can read more about the work that we do, or check out our Tumblr and all of that. So pretty easy to find. Gender is over. Sweet. Um, all right, well, we'll wrap it up. And um, like I said, again, 
I really appreciate you coming on and taking the time out. I will see you in Greenpoint sometime For soon. Sure. Y'all uh, better hang out. Thanks, Marie. I'll start a group chat. Uh, well, just so y'all can have each other's number, y'all can hang out. You live wicked close, but thanks, Marie. I appreciate it. This was great. I really enjoyed talking with both of you. All right. Thank you. All right. Talk to you later. All right. Yep. I'll talk to you. Bye-bye. Bye.